Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We've been talking about spiritual understanding and how important it is to have spiritual understanding. This is lesson number four. And let's just uh, look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. We just stop right there just for a moment. Notice, let your roots grow down into him. Did you ever see a plant that in the first year you've got to water it a lot? Once it catches, catches hold, the next year you don't really have to water it probably hardly at all. Because the roots are going down, getting what it needs, right? Well, that's us. Let the roots, our roots, grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. Oh, glory be to God. Did we get that? We are complete in Him. Hmm. I want to talk about understanding our completeness in Christ. In Him, we are already complete. We're not trying to be complete. We are complete. The work that He did for us was enough to satisfy the claims of justice that were held against mankind. And so, in Christ... We've been reconciled to the Father, and we have on the inside of us everything that makes us complete in the sight of our Heavenly Father. When Paul wrote this letter from prison, he spoke of the completeness that there is in Christ, in Him being complete as far as walking on this earth, the express image of the Father. He also spoke about God's completeness in creation. How when he created all things, everything was brought to a place of perfection. Everything was completed as far as he was concerned. Then he talks about the completeness of his own ministry that God had called him to. And he found completeness only in Christ. But then he talked about completeness in the life of the believer. And so we're not trying to get something that we already have. We are complete in him. His fullness lives on the inside of us. Now complete means that we're entire. We're full. There's no room for anything else. There's nothing more that's left to do. Nothing has to be added to what Jesus has already done for us and in us. Nothing has to be added to it. There's nothing that we can do to improve on it. Nothing that we can add to it that makes it better. It's the fullness of the work of Christ in the life of every believer. It has nothing to do with our performance. Nothing to do with what we have done. But everything to do with what he's already done for us in his great sacrifice upon Calvary's cross. In his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
Aren't you glad you had nothing to do with it? Actually, it was all done before you and I were born. So in Christ, we're complete. Nothing more needs to be added. We're not trying to get something that we don't have. We already have it all. And it's in us, in Christ Jesus. Every good thing is in us. Now look at, this is not in your notes, but look at Colossians, pick it up chapter 2, and beginning at verse 11 now. In order to achieve this, this is what he had to do. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Think about that. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of our charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It's pretty sad that the church has majored in the minors and not in the majors. I want to learn all these things about history, Jewish history, and, and that sort of thing. Religion, traditions, etc. Beloved, what a profound statement we just read here. He did this work in us. He disarmed all the powers of darkness against us. He cut away from us and our lives spiritual death. We are no longer bound by spiritual death. We're no longer bound by any kind of sin. Any handwriting of, that was uh, against us has been nailed to his cross, praise God. And we've been freed from that. And you and I had nothing to do with any of this. This is all the work of God in Christ. All we had to do is believe it and embrace it, accept it, declare it, decree it, praise God, in him I am complete. Now, understanding this is essential to growing and developing in our walk with God, in Christ. We have to understand it. We're not trying to get what we don't have, we're trying to allow what we have to manifest through our lives. See, we're not identified, our identity is not fine, found in who we are externally, on the outside, in the flesh. And the enemy will use who we are in the flesh. He'll use life experiences. He'll use circumstances to make us think that's who I really am. We identify with a shortcoming. We identify with a sickness. We identify with a weakness. It's just the way I am. We identify with anger or I'm a jealous person. We identify with all that. And if we keep on focusing on that, then that becomes our identity. That becomes who we are and what we experience. And that's something that we embrace, even though it's not who we are in Christ. Uh, an exchange took place. He gave his life for ours. We give our lives to him. And now he's living on the inside of us. You know what? He's not jealous. He's not angry. He's not sickly. He's not depressed. He's not worried. He's not fearful. He's not dismayed. He's not nervous. And the list goes on and on. He's not anxious or anything like that. So we are to identify who we are in Christ and what we have in him. And let that become our identity. Let that become who we are, who we embrace, what we say we are. Have you got him in you? Is Christ in you the hope of glory? Is he living on the inside of us? 
Right? All he wants to do is manifest himself through us. Do we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost and power? Then we have on the inside of us, praise God, the very Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But where are they? On the inside of us. But we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And identify with who we are in Christ and make that a reality in our lives. How are we going to do that? Well, we'll see that in just a moment. But in verses 16 through 23, here's something that Paul continues to say. That deceitful philosophies that are empty and vain, trying to prevent us from growing and developing in who we are in Christ. And also he talked about some of the um, Jewish laws that they had practiced. Remember, Judaism was the transition into Christianity. In the process, many Messianic Jews started continuing worshiping in the synagogue, but they had to be thrown out because they embraced Christ. When Stephen was martyred, Paul was on a rampage, you know that, and Stephen was martyred, they all fled and they were persecuted. They scattered. They went to different places around that, that geographical location. They began to develop churches and, and, and they began to meet there. But they still embraced some of the Jewish laws and they observed some of those things initially until of course uh, they all met together in, in Jerusalem and they started to decide what was right and what was wrong as far as in Christ we don't have to have the Gentiles celebrate this way this way this law this ceremonial law or anything like that and so it all began to unfold and change as time went on but what he is saying here if we're going to be bound by Greek philosophers if we're going to listen to those that say you've got to add something more to Christ, like you've got to keep this law, this Sabbath day, this holy day, this day, and all that, it's going to take away from our growth in Christ. We're not going to grow and develop in who we are and what we have in Him. He's sufficient to all things. Look at these verses. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. In other words, the reality came. They all pointed to Christ. These other things point us away from Christ, but these things point us to Christ. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as, as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Philosophy is not going to do it. Following Jewish ceremonies is not going to do it. What's going to do it is a recognition of who we are in Christ, who Christ is on the inside of us, and identifying with what he's done in us. And again, not trying to do, he's already done it. If you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, then you are everything that the Word says you are. You are everything that He has made you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. 
He says that you are more than a conqueror. You're a world overcomer. You're a son of Almighty God. You are marked to be His very own. You're reconciled to Him. You're of His family, praise God, of His royal priesthood, uh, of His royal blood. You are His masterpiece recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works that God ordained that you walk in. And so in other words, everything was done by Christ. There's nothing more to be added. There's nothing more you can do to add to what He's done. That's an impossibility. And anyone that would suggest anything else like otherwise is wrong. These Greek philosophers, they had their own philosophy. Remember at Mars Hill, when Paul preached at Mars Hill, they had all these inscriptions to the unknown God. This God they had so many gods. They're probably, I mean, they had so many, so many gods. And to them, Christianity would just be another God to them. Jesus would just be another person to them, but not to you and to me. Praise God. He is the Son of God manifested in the flesh. He is the creator of heaven and earth and seeing all that in them is. And he is in you the hope of glory. That means the hope of your future glory is found in Christ Jesus your Lord. And what God wants us to do is get what's on the inside to the outside to be a living epistle. As we live the word, Jesus was the word made flesh among us. You and I are supposed to be the word living through us the same way as it lived through him. So in other words, our identity is found in who we are in him. What about the reality of my outward man? That's a good question. This natural man on the outside, it's a reality. If you have pain in your body, it hurts, right? We can either focus on that pain and let that natural reality rise up above the supernatural reality of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or we can, vice versa, we could turn that thing around and say, you know what? I may have pain, but you know what? I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you bore my sickness and you carried my pains and by your stripes I was healed. I thank you that your power is operating in my body right now because I'm the redeemed. I've been redeemed from the curse of poverty, sickness, and death. And I thank you, Father God, for making that a reality in me by your precious Holy Spirit. I thank you that it's working in me right now. And it doesn't matter how long it takes because you see if something takes a little bit of time, you know what happens? We begin to identify with that. We make, our, make ourselves think that's our identity. That this, I'm going to have this thing in my, my body for the rest of my life. Like the one woman, she was 50 years old. At the age of 50, her parents ignored and neglected something in her body. And it made, her very, dif- it made it very difficult for her to walk. Something that could have been done very easily, but they refused to do it. They just didn't do it. They just ignored it, basically neglected her. After 50 years, she came and told a preacher, she said, why would I want you to pray for me? Because after 50 years, I've learned to live with this. This is my identity. This is who I am. And I can live with this for the rest of my life. You know what? That's exactly what the enemy wanted to hear. He painted a picture of defeat in this person's life. And as a result, they saw themselves that way. That's my identity. That's who I am. I want to be this way for the rest of my life. You know what? It's time to put a stop to that. It's time to turn that thing around and just say, that's not my identity. That may be a natural reality, but as a supernatural reality that rises up above that reality, praise God. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from a law, sin, and death. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to say it every day of my life. I am delivered. I am healed. I am set free. I am made whole. It cannot live in my body. It will not live in my body as far as I'm concerned. And you know what? You settle down in that, that vein of faith. You believe that from your heart. And it doesn't matter how long things are taken. That's not your identity. Your identity is found in him. If you find yourself down the road just saying, well, I guess it's not working. Stop right there. Stop right there. Don't give into that. Don't allow the enemy make you think it's not working just because you haven't felt anything in, the, in your external body. 
or in your finances, or in your circumstances, in your relationships, or whatever it might be. God wants us to get a hold of this word once and for all, sell it within our hearts, and just say it is absolutely, positively true, no matter what I feel, no matter what I hear, no matter what I see, my five physical senses don't have to be consulted for me to determine whether or not God's word is true. It is true in my life. I'm not consulting my five senses, I'm consulting the word of God, and the word of God says I am what it says I am, and who it says I am, and I am it. I'm going to continue declaring it, and decreeing it and praise God and the Holy Ghost will make it a reality in my life and I'm, it's not up my concern when it's going to happen it happened at the cross 2,000 years ago I'm going to agree with it I'm going to conform to it and watch the Holy Ghost work and eventually this body is going to have to say okay I give up I give in can you say amen alright understanding confession this is what I really want to get to if we get a chance but understanding confession. I can't begin to tell you how this message has in my life done so much for me. And you know, as we get older in the Lord, if we don't watch, we can let some things slip. You realize that? We should never do it. These are precious, precious revelations that we have from God. Embrace them. Walk in them. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. This is so essential, so important. Verse 15, this is from the Amplified, classic version of the Amplified Bible. Through him, therefore let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. In one commentary it says, the calves of our lips refers to every sacrifice being fulfilled in Christ. So instead of offering calves, pigeons, turtle doves, heifers, and so on as a sacrifice, you say, what does that mean? Well, you go back to the Old Testament, and what we discover is that they had to offer up sacrifices to really have peace with God. And they offered up constantly these sacrifices. Imagine, especially on the Day of Atonement, like a quarter of a million sacrificial ams offered up all the time just to appease God, just to be in harmony with God, just to have some kind of fellowship with God or have their sins covered for a year. We were not part of that. So you see, that doesn't affect us in any way. And it's hard even to think about it and embrace it. But can you imagine you're here, you are, you raise up this little lamb, it's got to be without spot, got to be without blemish. And there it is, maybe you're attached to it, you even named it. right? And you're carrying this sweet little lamb and you're walking up to a priest and just saying here see you're sacrificing something something that you probably dearly love but you give it and they take it and they have to kill it sacrifice it for you hard to imagine that's what they had to do we don't have to do that see the calves that we offer are the calves of our lips. The fruit of our lips. Doing what? Giving thanks to his name. How powerful is this? It's the fruit of my lips. Fruit means it's the end result. Fruit means it's not something that I heard somebody else say. Fruit means it started in here as a little seed. And it began to grow on the inside of me. And oh yes, it was challenged along the way. 
The enemy came along to sift me like wheat to determine whether or not my faith was genuine or fictitious. Whether or not I was just echoing or parroting somebody else or I really embraced a truth from the word of God that tells me, hey, my Bill, by his stripes you were healed or my God supplies all my need. See, we take that, we put that in our heart, the soil of our heart, good soil. And we continue to water it. And even though all the outward evidences and life experiences dictate otherwise, we say it has to be true. It cannot be a lie. God's word cannot return void. No, we say, no, the word that's alive in me, it's a living thing. It's incorruptible seed. The seed of God's word will always produce results. It's determined by the soil condition, the condition of the soil in the heart of a person. And so you know what? I'm going to continue saying it even though all the wind's blowing, the waves blowing, the storms are coming and the situations are rising up saying it's a lie, it's a lie, it's not true, it's not true, etc., etc., etc. But you stand there and you just say, let the harsh winds blow. As far as I'm concerned, I'm found in Him and in Him I believe I am whole. I am delivered. I am strengthened. I am empowered. I am going to stand firm on what I believe the word declares I am. I'm not giving up. I'm not fainting. I'm not losing heart. You know why? In due season, I will reap if I faint not. So I'm not going to faint. It may not look it. It may not feel like it to anybody else. But you know what? I'm declaring it to be so. And God is faithful to watch over his word and make it good. So, it's up to us to offer the sacrifice of praise unto God, the fruit of our lips, continuously giving thanks to His name for who He is and all that He's done for us in Christ. Now, notice here, uh, Philemon, verse 6. This is, once again, one of the most outstanding verses in the Bible, a short one, small one, but outstanding. That the communication of your faith may become effectual. How? By acknowledging or by the acknowledging of every good thing, which is where? In you, in Christ Jesus. How does our faith become effectual? As we acknowledge every good thing which is in us. And once again, I see people wanting to learn all kinds of things about the Bible, history, you know, culture, and all that. But you know what the most important thing is? What Jesus did for us. That's the most important thing. Everything from the Old Testament pointed to one person, his name, Jesus. And what Jesus did on that cross was necessary to reconcile man back to God. In that sacrifice that he made for us, he paid the most horrific price, suffering the wrath of God for every single one of us. When God raised him from the dead, it was the greatest working of his almighty power. He destroyed the works of Satan. He thwarted the plans of the enemy and he rose up victorious and put him to an open shame. And now, praise God, he calls us brethren. And now we have his life on the inside of us. Now we're reconciled back to the Father. And every good thing that is in us, once again, based on what he did, not based on what we feel, not based on any external evidence or life experience, but based on what the scripture says that we have in him, we are to acknowledge and we are to confess. And those, notice this. It's not making a confession to twist God's arm to do something. That's not what it is. It's confessing a reality that we already have in him. Because it's 
what he did in us in agreement with it so that we let know we let God know we can walk together with him by being agreed remember Job 22 21 acquaint now thyself with him this is the amplified translation agree with him conform to his will and so shall you be at peace and great good will come to you so how do we agree with him I agree with you father that you supply all my needs if I were to consult my five senses and this particular my eyes and what they tell me as far as my checkbook is concerned that's not the truth but I'm not looking at that reality I'm looking at a higher reality you supply all my need according unto your riches and glory by Christ Jesus and I'm thanking you I'm thanking you that you are my financier thank you for being my financier or healer or deliverer or protector continuing to proclaim what the word says we have in him allowing it to become a reality within our lives we're, we're agreeing with him and we're conforming to his will so we've acquainted ourselves with him notice first we acquaint ourselves get to know him get to know him first of all and when you get to know him start agreeing with him conform to his will start doing it start saying it I know who I am I believe who I am in Christ it may not be a reality immediately but in order for it to become a reality I have to agree with it basically we need to get alone with God thank God we can come here we can be taught the word and we can grow but there's nothing that promotes our spiritual growth and development than getting alone with God and you know what consulting him and letting him know exactly where you're at being real with him talking things over with him father you said you supply him a need but you know what I've got a lot of need I don't see it being supplied so I know you're true and you're not a liar so obviously you supply all my need so therefore I'm looking to you to consult you just to understand from you how's this thing work teach me instruct me show me enlighten me enable me to know healing how does healing work I know your word says by stripes I'm healed but you know that's not the reality in my life the reality is a natural reality that says I've got this I've got that the doctor said this I've got that that's a reality but that's not my identity I'm not going to conform to that I'd rather conform to what the Bible says you said you take sickness and disease away from the midst of me you said with your stripes I was healed now here I'm weighing out the two the one says that I'm sick and the other one says I'm healed and so therefore I've got to get this that says I'm healed to become a reality so that it overrides this reality this lower reality there's a higher reality there's a lower reality and that's what confession is all about I'm going to continue to declare what the word says until it becomes a reality I'm going to make my lips do their duty until it becomes a reality but here's how I'm going to do it I'm going to do it in such a way so as to develop intimacy of fellowship with you I'm not using a confession sheet to twist your arm to get you to do something and I have been thinking about even revamping our confession sheet either that or I can what I can do is just share with you some thoughts how you can do and I can do you know what it says in a way that would be productive and that would honor God here we have one of our confession sheets out there you can pick up one out there in the narthex area of our church okay and you can take it you can read it for yourself and you can start developing your faith life but the way it's written right here it kind of takes the personal aspect of a relationship with God out okay and let me show you what I mean this is based on the verse we just read Philemon 1 6 
that the confession or that the communication of my faith may become effectual by my acknowledging every good thing that is in me in Christ Jesus. I am now releasing my faith by confessing this to be the greatest day of my life. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I am a recreated being. All things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm created in his glorious image and likeness. I am his workmanship complete in Christ. I am full of his spirit and divine power. I have the fruit of the spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. I am humbly submitting myself to the authority of God's word. Okay, I'm reading it just the way it is here. But we want to turn, take that and turn it around and just start saying, Heavenly Father, I am your child. I want to thank you today as I get up and I see the dawn breaking. Your mark is upon me. I am your child. You gave birth to me. And you're a faithful God. And so I declare because you're in my life and I'm in you I'm in Christ this to be the greatest day of my life you know why father because it's not based on anything external it's not based on any circumstance or my feelings or anything of that nature it's based on knowing who I am and knowing what I have in Christ I know the sacrifice that you made for me I know what Jesus did for me and so therefore I surrender my heart and my will to rise up above my physical feelings I'm not going to let a cloud of oppression rest over my, my day. Oh, I may feel that way, but you know what I want to say? Praise God. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. Heavenly Father, you are the glory and the lifter of my head. Your mark is upon me. I am your son. I am your child. You have washed me in the blood of Jesus, your son. And I thank you for every good thing that is in me in Christ Jesus. I've got joy. I've loved joy. I've got peace. I've got patience. I focus on that. I'm giving that my undivided attention. And I'm thanking you that today, praise God, I will live a life that will honor and glorify you. So it's not just reading this like three times a day and just saying, therefore, I am free from the curse of the law. I am, Father, you freed me from the curse of the law in Jesus. Father, you've given me a new heart. You have given me a brand new life. And Father, I just want to get to know you a whole lot better. See, it's this vertical it says vertical. Father, I read where I'm a container of your glory. Your glory. Father, by your spirit, give me a revelation and understanding of what it means to have in me your glory. That raised up Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me. Father, I want to thank you for that. I believe that. I receive that. I have that right now. Oh, Father, thank you for your glory. And what happens is, as we continue to proclaim these blessed truths, confess them, agree with them, we begin to conform to them. That's how we conform. See, people have taken this word of faith, understanding, to an extreme. I mean, a crazy extreme. This isn't something that's magical. This takes a lot of work, effort, and energy on the part of the believer. And I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of humility. You know, Father, because of you, I'm a humble person. I'm not given to pride or arrogance or anything of that nature because Christ is in me and he's humble. He's not prideful. He's not arrogant. And I thank you that I'm not a jealous person either. You know, Father, because of the life that's in me, I'm not jealous. I refuse to give in to anger. I'm not an angry person. I'm a person of love, joy, and peace. And the peace that I have, the world did not give me, so the world cannot take it away. So you know what, Father? Thank you for, by your Spirit, making that a reality in my life. 
I want to know the fullness of my redemptive rights and all that I have in him. And by the way, I understand, Father, that you restored authority to me. I really want to know what it means to walk in the fullness of the authority that you gave me. That you gave Adam and Eve in the very beginning that Jesus got back. And that he has all power. He's the holder of all power and authority right now. And he said, I'm giving it to you that in the power of my name, you can use it to benefit your life as you walk upon the earth. You can, as my ambassador, transact business for me by understanding the power of my name and the authority I've given you. Now, Father, you said we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I, I, I know it. I read it. And that means going to all the world, which means probably the unsaved world that are out there. They can have a calling card to come into the family of God as we are obedient and just go lay hands on them so they can recover. But also there's a revelation that tells me that Christ in me has already made me whole. And I am delivered. I am set free. So it's agreeing with God. It's declaring and confessing what the word says about us, but in a way that's intimate, in a way that says it's this relationship. Father, I love you and you love me. And I thank you that your love is in me. I thank you that your faith is in me. And by faith, I can walk with you as I live my life upon the earth. <clears throat> and these things will become a reality to me. In your notes here, look at the Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. This is what's important. We're talking about understanding confession. We confess Jesus as Lord, and that's the very heart of Christianity. Look at the verse. Whosoever therefore shall what? Confess me before men. Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Just, just take that and meditate that. for. Don't read the whole chapter. Read that one verse there. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Get a revelation of that. I confess you, Jesus, before all men, before all mankind. I will confess and declare that you're my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord, my Healer, my Baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. You are my King. I'm confessing you before men. Can you imagine Jesus then? Can you envision this? Hey, Father, by the way, see Bill down there? See him down there? I want to confess him before the throne here. He's confessing you before the throne, before the Father which is in heaven. Because you confess Him. You identify with Him. You're declaring that you are in Him. And you're not ashamed of Him. And also, even though, once again, your external circumstances or our life evidences and experiences don't harmonize with what the Word teaches, we do what? We surrender our will, our heart to Him, and we just say, that's not the reality I want to live by. I want to live by the inward reality that tells me who I am in Christ because in Him I have all these things. And so, Father, even though I feel this way, I'm going to confess what Your Word says about me. And we continue to declare it and decree it. I'll tell you what, it'll manifest. It'll come into manifestation. You know, people that are overwhelmed with oppression, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, and all those things. And please listen when I share this. And Please understand this. You can come to the altar. We can lay hands on you. And you can get an instant relief and release. But that's not going to be forever lasting. You have an enemy that's going to come back and try to put that cloud of oppression on you, unrest on you, anxiety on you, worry on you. Okay? When we get you released for a season, for a moment, what does Jesus tell us about any spirit that's cast out that goes in a dry place of seeking rest and finding none? What's it going to do? It's going to return right back to that house and just say, 
you know, they, they succumbed to anxiety, worry, fear, and frustration before, but let's just put it heavy on them right now. Let's come even stronger, even greater, just to control their lives and dictate to their actions and their behavior and conduct and character and all that. But that's not what we should do. When they walk away from this altar and they feel, oh, I feel so much better right now, recognize the fact the enemy is going to try once again to attack by your outward external feelings and emotions to make you think that worked maybe for a season, but it's not working now. And so therefore the cloud comes back over. And if you walk away and eventually say, well, I guess it didn't really work. I guess it didn't really happen. And it seems like, you see, our job as a pastor is to feed the flock the word of God to teach them who they are and what they have. So why? They can stand on their own. And when they walk away and this cloud comes upon them, they can sit back and just say, mm-hmm, I recognize you. I'm not identified in you. I'm not an oppressed person whatsoever. Fear, you can come near me, but you can't have me. You can surround me all that you want because you know why I'm not going to fear? Because my Father's with me. I'm not dismayed because he's my God. And when I call upon him, he'll help me, strengthen me, and uphold me with his right hand. You see, we take the scripture and we make it a reality by declaring it, especially in the face of opposition. And we declare it and we say, it's true. This is what I believe. I've embraced this truth. I am living this truth. This is the goal that we discover who we are in Christ, all that he has put in us, and then we embrace it and we confess it and declare it until it becomes a reality. And again, it's not borrowing it from somebody else. It's confessing it because I truly, truly believe that I'm in Christ and he's in me. See, if we really believe there's no need to fear, then we wouldn't fear. What about this? Instead of just saying, I will never fear again, because God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind, we can say that. And it will impact our hearts and lives, but you know what? We should say it like this. Father, I'm not going to fear anymore because your love for me casts out all fear. And you haven't given me the spirit of fear, but Father, you've given me power, love, and of a sound mind. And I want to thank you, Father God, for doing that in my life in Christ. And Jesus, I know that you paid the price for me to have it, and so I embrace it. I'm thanking you for it. See, we get along with God. We just talk things over with him. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I believe this. This is my reality now who I am in him, what I have in him. I'm embracing this as my reality. No matter what the situation may be. So confession then is something that you embrace. It's something that you believe. We confess our allegiance to Christ and what happens? He confesses us before the throne. Figure that one out. Of all the multitudes of Christians that there are in this world, of all the people that are talking at one time, can you imagine he has that ability to listen to who we are and what we say? By your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. He's the high priest of our confession. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. He's the high priest of our, this is Christianity. This is Christianity 101 right here. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession or confession, Christ Jesus. He is at the right hand of the throne as the high priest. The high priest, what he's watching over? Our confession, our declarations. He watches over his word to make it good. And as we confess the word, and even though it may not be the reality that we're experiencing right now, but we continue to confess it knowing that God cannot lie. And knowing that it is a reality, but I've got to make it my reality by declaring it above my physical evidences. 
Remember Hebrews chapter 5, 12 through 14, where we talked about how he said he made it very clear. The time has come that you ought to be teachers, but you have people that you need the people teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need of milk, not strong meat, because anyone that's, you know, not walking in righteousness, the truth of righteousness is in need of milk, not strong meat. But those that are mature are those that by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So in other words, we take the time to exercise, not at the gym. That's okay to do physical exercise. But we do this exercise spiritually. And maybe in our bedroom, maybe in a prayer closet, maybe driving a highway, maybe out in the backyard somewhere. And we get before God. And listen, it's when our circumstances are adverse is where we grow. It's when my feelings are telling me you should be sad despondent and depressed and down and frustrated you just go those feelings don't own me Jesus bought and paid for me by his blood they don't own me I am not going to walk in the light of that darkness that may be an external outward reality but there's an inward one that's brighter bigger and greater and stronger and so therefore sadness be gone. Frustration, I speak to you. I will not be discouraged. I am encouraged in the Lord. I'm strong in him and the power of his might. Father, I thank you that I'm strong in Jesus and the power of your might. I thank you that you're alive living in me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head, Father. And so praise God. I thank you the cloud of whatever it might be has no power or authority over me because I belong to you. That's my confession. That's my declaration. But I've got to, I've got to see it. I've got to embrace it in order to walk in the light of it. Confession, look under point D there. I think it's a good definition. Our confession is based on this deep conviction of facts. Number, under D, confession is affirming something we believe. It's testifying to something we know. It's witnessing for a truth that we have embraced. I'm not borrowing it from somebody else. I have tried it. I have tested it. It's found to be faithful, trustworthy, and true. God's word is always true. And so therefore, I'm embracing it. I'm not going to confess something that belongs to somebody else. That's like going into a court of law. And, and, and the, the, let's just say that the judge asked you, did you see it? And No, I didn't see it. Well, how can you testify? How can you witness to something you didn't see? I'm not borrowing somebody else's confession. In other words, when I stand before a Goliath, what did David say to Goliath? What did the pastor say? Let's go, go get those notes from 2000 and uh, what was it? 2000, I think it was 2011. Let's go look that thing up and see what he said to say. That's not it. I'm embracing it for myself. If I need to sit down with one verse of scripture that says, speak to your mountain, speak to your mountain. Believe in your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass. So speak to your mountain and it will remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. I'm speaking to you mountain. My father gave me the right to do so. Jesus gave me those words. He said I can do it. This is the faith of the operation of God. I can speak to the mountain. It has got to go. Now Holy Ghost help me figure this thing out. Help me figure this thing out. Help me understand how I can use my words and command Things like mountains to be removed, trees to die, bitterness to leave, sickness to leave and to flee, etc., etc., etc. I know it's got to be true. I'm not looking for a way not to make it work. I'm looking for a way to make it work. I may not understand it. I may not clearly see it, but we're talking about understanding, right? Understanding confession, understanding our completeness in Christ. You're complete. I'm complete. The church has been always striving for something that they already have. I already got it. 
And the one that really gets to me is the deliverance thing. I mean, the deliverance thing is just mind-boggling to me. The Bible just said, we just read it. He delivered us from the powers of darkness. He made a show of them openly. He put them to a public shame. They are defeated. He has absolutely nullified all their armor, all their weaponry against us. And yet people are walking around saying, I need delivered from this. I need delivered from that. No, that's your flesh that's acting up and start disciplining it and crucifying it and telling it, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Depression, sorry, you're too late. Anxiety, worry, fear, sorry, no longer. I accept you. I don't embrace you. I don't declare you. I don't confess you. So when we say something like, don't talk like that, that could be wrong. No, you shouldn't talk like that, but just not talking like that isn't going to do anything if all you're doing is parroting somebody else. But when you say, okay, Jesus said, don't worry about anything. Don't fret. Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Right? Your life is very valuable to him, very important to him. He provides for the, the, the lizard of the field, for the birds, the fowls in the air that fly. Oh, what about you? Oh, you little faith. He says, you don't think he'll provide for you? So in other words, we embrace this truth and we see what God said. And even though it may not be a natural reality, we can't allow our natural realities to rise up above supernatural realities that are higher than natural realities that are lower and be dominated by the lower reality. So we stay in the prayer closet. And we declare the word, not borrowing it from somebody else. Father, I see in your word, you supply all my need. I see in your word, by your stripes I am healed. And so therefore, it may not be a, a reality right now in the natural, but I am going to declare it, decree it, I'm going to embrace it and confess it. I'm going to give witness to it. And I'm believing that as I proclaim it, declare it, and decree it, that eventually it will manifest, it will come to pass. But my duty and responsibility is to speak it, declare it, and decree it, and stop listening to the lies of the enemy. And just because it's taken time to happen or to materialize, and then you start thinking, did I do this wrong? Did I do that wrong? That's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. I didn't do this right. I'm not doing that right. What about this? What about that? When you're in the place of faith and you're declaring it before the throne of God, God's going to expose anything that needs to be dealt with. If there's something that has to be dealt with, he'll just say, oh, but forget, deal with this first and let's do it. He'll do it. People that need to be delivered every week, every week they've got to be delivered. Every other week they've got to be delivered. They've never been taught you've been delivered. When will they ever rise up to the place that they finally say, that was my last deliverance? I'm delivered. You see, the lower reality is dominating the life, and the higher reality is dormant, doing nothing. Have you been delivered from the powers of darkness? Then what powers do they have over us? If we've been delivered from them, then we don't need delivered from them. All we need is to make that a reality. How am I going to make that a reality? By confessing the word over my life until it becomes my own. I take ownership of it and say, I know I've been delivered. I know I've been set free. So therefore, whatever your power is, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Get out of my life. What did Jesus say about the knowledge of the truth? That's what makes us free. And if the Son sets you free, well, has he set us free? 
we should consider ourselves as free from the satanic powers of darkness as the Israelites were from the Egyptians when they crossed the Red Sea and saw them all dead under the water. That's how free we are. Amen? Praise God. Are you free tonight? Praise God. Thank God we've been set free. I'll close by sharing with you this one individual I was talking to recently and she was talking about praying and talking about different prayers that she was praying and I kind of in the middle of all the thing I just said what do you think about those prayers I said well that one I wouldn't pray well, why not well I prayed this all my life well I wouldn't pray that one because you see you're not praying to God you're praying to a person do you know how hard well, first of all to succeed in getting someone who's set in their ways for 50 years I've prayed that way for 50 years and I'm not changing I said, but Jesus said, don't do it. Well, out of respect for him, I'm doing exactly what I feel I need to do. I, I, that, that just, like, oh, oh. So in other words, he said not to do it, and out of respect, you're going to do it. Okay, Let's run, let me run this by you once again. He said not to do it. Why are you doing it if he said not to do it? Because I've done it all my life. I was taught from a young girl that this is how you pray. And this is what you do. How many of you know that we've never been told to pray to anyone that's departed from this realm of life? And they can't help us. How many of you know that Jesus himself even said, don't even pray to me. And at that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say to you, whichever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You ask the Father in my name. Henceforth, up until now, he said, hitherto, up until now, you've asked me nothing. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So who are we asking? We're asking the Father. In whose name? In the name of Jesus. And that's how we connect and get to the throne of God. And that's how we've been instructed to pray. So how should we pray? To the Father in the name of Jesus. Which is why when we pray, we say, Father, bless our food. In Jesus' name, amen. To the Father in the name of Jesus. So you don't pray and just say, uh, Joseph, help me. Or Matthew, or Nathaniel, strengthen me. No. No. If we don't stand up, we'll be here all night. <laughs>